Hello and welcome to another episode of the Richards Report. I'm Ted Richards. In the last decade or two, we've witnessed and no doubt contributed in some way to the increase of health-conscious consumers shifting their preferences around making healthier lifestyle choices. An obvious example is smoking and how it's increasingly rarer to to smell cigarette smoke when you're out. And former guest and friend of the show, Sam Wood, has even spoken about the rise of people working out from home. Other examples? Well, it seems like every few years there's a new plant-based milk that baristas are offering. I even heard there's now a potato milk out in Sweden that's getting some traction. Uh, I won't, won't speak about that today, but there's also uh, growing the, the growing wearable industry, such as Apple Watches that can monitor your health and, and track your sleep. And there's also the rise in non-alcoholic versions of traditionally alcoholic drinks like beer and wine that have been coming to market recently. And, and it's this category that I want to chat about for this episode. Consumers cutting back on their alcohol intake has been playing out for a while now. And the reason that the non-alcoholic category has been experiencing rapid growth but it's expected to grow even bigger in the years and years ahead as drinking tastes and the, importantly, the social acceptance continue to shift. Please don't confuse people cutting back on alcoholic drinks, meaning that they're, uh, it must mean that they're going sober and giving up on alcohol altogether. Whilst that may be the case for some consumers, uh, a lot of the growth is just coming from people that are simply switching a portion of what they used to drink as alcoholic drinks for an amount of non-alcoholic versions. Whilst there was a time in the past, uh, choices were full-strength beer or full-strength beer, uh, especially in Australia. And um, and if you're a designated driver, it was uh, water or water. Um, things have changed. It's now commonplace to see mid-strength beers at bars and pubs, uh, light beers, and, and as we'll discuss shortly, not, now even non-alcoholic beers. So much so, you know that it's coming commonplace when you see um, billboards on freeways uh, such as Heineken Zero, who have been um, um, heavily advertising it. And I think the Collingwood Football Club is sponsored by Carlton Zero, which is um, some of the bigger brands and and their non-alcoholic versions of of beers. It's been fascinating to see the rise of this new category, especially considering how much the social culture that we live in used to frown at non-alcoholic drinks. So I thought we should get an expert on the show to talk about this growing trend and and what's been happening around the world. His name is Andy Miller, and he is the co-founder and CEO of non-alcoholic beer company Heaps Normal. Now, before we get into the chat, I want to be upfront on on a few things. I've been on the record about this, and, and that is a while ago, I invested in Heaps Normal. So first and foremost, I want to be transparent about that. Uh, I first came across Heaps Normal because I was curious about non-alcoholic drinks, in particular non-alcoholic beer, and and, um, I'd also been contacted by so many other people who were also curious about this new area of the industry. So I thought, well, we should do an episode on this, and I know the expert that we need to speak with. So I hope you really enjoy this episode. Um, Like I may have said, I don't want this to be an episode where you think I'm going to bash alcoholic drink, alcoholic drinks. Far from it. Personally, I, I still enjoy those too. Um, I'm, and I'm likely to do an episode um, sometime this year on the wine industry, as I think that's also a, a fascinating industry too. Before we jump into today's episode, 
um, don't forget I'm now involved in another podcast show too. It's called the Invest It Best Podcast by Wilson's. So you, if you're after more than just one episode a month, which I'm currently doing for the Richards Report, then make sure you subscribe to the Invest It Best Podcast wherever you're listening. And uh, we'll be putting out new episodes um, roughly every fortnight. And that should be kicking in for 2022 shortly. Now, as always, the usual disclosures, this episode is just for educational and entertainment purposes only and does not qualify as personal advice in that it is just of a conversation, just of a general nature. As I've already mentioned, people may hold positions in the companies discussed and opinions expressed on the show. Uh, that of their own, it does not reflect the opinion of my employer. Okay, with no further ado, my name is Ted Richards and here is my discussion with co-founder and CEO of Heaps Normal Beer, Andy Miller. You're listening to The Richards Report, where we will speak with investment experts from around the country. We will cut through the jargon to allow you to make more insightful investment decisions for your future. This is The Richards Report. Andy Miller, thank you for coming on The Richards Report. Thanks, Ted. Awesome to be here. Okay, now whilst you are founder and CEO of the non-alcoholic beer brand Heaps Normal, which I touched on in the intro, and we'll get to Heaps Normal shortly, I want to start off by looking at the global non-alcoholic uh, industry first, uh, and what what are the trends that's been happening in different parts around the world? So, are you able to provide us a bit of colour in terms of non-alcoholic drinks and the and the industry? Who were the the early adopters around the world with non-alcoholic versions of traditionally alcoholic drinks? Yeah, I think um, like like Australia, there there were a few incumbents in the in the industry there that would claim, you know, being first movers. I think Coopers in Australia in particular, um, you know, have always had a non-alc as a part of their range um, for as long as I think anyone can remember. Um, I think it's Odul's in the States, um, you know, have a – are a similar kind of brand where it's um it's uh it's one of those those brands that I think has been part of culture but not necessarily in a good way um and then more recently I think what we've seen is brands like Big Drop coming out of the UK Athletic in the states um and Sober in in um in Australia along with um yeah some other early movers um like Upflow and more recently Park Pills um you know really great brands, great products um, that have started to change the game uh, and and change the way consumers think about non-alcoholic beers. And these are all, yeah, these are all beers. And what about, um, what about other drinks such as wine, spirits, ciders? How have they, they fared compared to, uh, to beer? Yeah, I think all at different um, stages in the kind of evolution process, spirits have definitely undergone a, a rapid change. I think probably much earlier than beer. Even um, pe- brands like Liars have absolutely smashed it, just going global from almost almost from day one. I think um, so. That's a really great Aussie success story. Um, Seedlip is another really interesting early mover in that space that a lot of people would be familiar with, and. Um, uh, and I think what we're seeing, at least in the category, is that a lot of the movement right now, both in Australia and abroad, is in um, the non-alcoholic RTD space. Uh, there's a lot of new brands, even more than there so are. So for those not familiar with uh, the RTD acronym, can you provide us a, yes. a bit of it? 
um, RTD stands for ready to drink. And um, that's, uh, yeah, we're, we're sort of seeing a lot of um, new brands pop up in that space where, yeah, I think um, Kin is another, is a recent one that's popped up um, in that space. Uh, and, and I think that's sort of coming off the back of uh, a real kind of global um, trend towards, you know, drinks like kombucha and seltzer, both in the non-alcoholic space and kombucha, you know, in the non-alcoholic space. I'm keen to explore that. So so what happened? Why this recent change? Because when I was growing up, um, a lot of these drinks, these non-alcoholic drinks uh, that you mentioned, um, they were really frowned upon. And it, it, I feel like this shift has happened quite quickly. What do you put it down to? I think it's a, a real mix of trends all colliding. Some of them have been, you know, I was going to say brewing, but excuse the pun, I'll find another word, I think, kind of, you know, building over the years, um, like the kind of generational decline in alcohol consumption, um, the gradual kind of increase in health and wellness spending that we've seen globally across all categories, um, you know, all consumer products, Um and and then I think a lot of those trends catalyzed by you know the the kind of the big C you know over the last couple of years the the pandemic the lockdowns um, people using um, in that case some some people proactively using that to kind of reassess their lifestyles and other people I think being you know forced to rethink. Um, not, and I'm not just talking about alcohol consumption. I'm talking about lifestyles in general, you know, um, exercise, socializing with friends, um, you know, diets. You know, I think everything about the way we live has sort of been called into question. And and I think there's a lot of silver linings, at least in um, in some of the, in the in the way that a lot of people have reassessed their lifestyle um, off the back of you know what's been a really shitty couple of years. Yeah, um, it certainly has given you time to to pause and reflect on on some of your lifestyle decisions, and we might even get to it a bit to COVID later and, and how that has positively or negatively impacted your company. Just kind of going back to Australia and where we fit in the kind of the global non-alcoholic sector. Do you think Australia's been a an early adopter of of these new drinks, or or possibly a late adopter? I think we're in Australia. We are definitely still playing catch up. There's um, there have been some early adopters. I mentioned Sober early on. Um, they're a First Nations owned non-alcoholic beer company um, and and peers of ours in the space. Um, they were fairly early movers in Australia. Um, so we're not. It's not. I think a lot of people had the idea, but I think probably sober would tell you as well that it's only recently that I feel like things have really taken off for them and for the category in general. Um, certainly, you know, we've noticed um, in hindsight how fortuitous it was um, for us to launch when we did. And I think I would still consider Heaps Normal being quite an early mover in the space. And yeah, the, it, measuring that by, the, I think, the uh, the 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 market uh, and the consumer appetite for these kinds of products elsewhere in the world in more mature markets like in the UK and in the US, um, as I mentioned earlier, even Europe. I think traditionally, you know, countries like Spain and and Italy, their culture I think is much more open and has been for a long time to 
non-alcoholic drinks and the the role that they might play in lifestyle um you know even and more specifically in kind of people's drinking behaviors um you know i think there's a celebration a lot more openness around kind of uh enjoying kind of uh socializing and drinking and eating uh during the day uh in places like that and in cultures like that so you know though there's been an underlying i think acceptance of non-alcoholic beverages and and options in um some of those places for for a long time and australia i think for many reasons culturally and um you know in terms of producers and the, the supply um is still probably playing catch up yeah it's it's uh fascinating what, what you mentioned there we are we are in catch up but you can see the the early signs there i think now like you know some of the biggest selling beers in australia are now mid-strengths um 4x gold or um great northern who yeah. i think might have just overtaken um um 4x gold uh, oh, there you, you go. know but yeah being mid-strength beers and 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 you know i think some of the biggest selling beers in australia oh, and, absolutely. Um, yeah, and Andy, you mentioned sober there a couple of times. I, I do want to give sh- a shout out to sober um, S O B A H if you're interested in checking them out. And I know that they have some um, fantastic um, flavors that where they introduce, as you mentioned, um, uh, indigenous uh, ingredients into their beers, just to to give them a, um, a bit of a unique flavor. Andy, it's been fascinating to kind of learn at a at a really you know macro kind of global level about the the whole category category but let's let's move on to heaps normal in your business for those not familiar can you can you provide us a bit of info on why you started it and the heaps normal story yeah we we started heaps normal and when i say we um pete brennan um benny holdstock uh jordy smith and myself started it because we all realized through several conversations together that we all wanted to reduce our alcohol consumption um, but for very different reasons and we thought well this is probably a sign of you know the audience for non-alcoholic beverages the future audience for non-alcoholic beverages in that case um, more broadly and in the sense that not everyone identifies as being sober and um, and for us we felt like there weren't there weren't really any options out there that we would consider, um, you know, proud to take along to a barbecue and, and I think more importantly just really enjoy as beer drinkers that tasted like a real beer. Um, and we set about solving that challenge um, together um, both, you know, from a building a, a, a brand um, that people could personally connect with and find relevance in as as beer fans, as particularly even, you know, as people who enjoy the taste of beer. Uh, and then also, of course, I think solving the challenge that hadn't, in our, in our view, been solved um, at that time of creating a beer that genuinely tasted like a real beer where you didn't need to convince yourself that, that you were enjoying it and that, you know, that this was a beer. You just, you just cracked it like any other beer um, consumed it in the same occasions as any other beer, and um, and yeah, in that sense, I think start to kind of influence culture. I might I might just interrupt there because uh, let's address the elephant in the room, uh, Andy. Typically, non-alcoholic beers have been infamous for uh, to be blunt, uh, tasting like crap, <laughs> and you you came to market with something 
not just good, but body good. And, and uh, I'm, I'm not by myself there and that you have had incredible reviews. Can you provide us a bit more info in terms of how the Heaps Normal beer is brewed to taste the way that it does and not have the alcoholic content? Yeah, absolutely. So traditionally, non-alcoholic beer has been brewed one of two ways. One is to either distill off the alcohol or uh, to filter out um, the alcohol. Both methods, we felt, um, you know, we're taking a lot of the flavor with with it in the process, uh, and in some cases, kind of spoiling the beer as well. You can imagine if you if you boil a beer uh, to get the the alcohol off, um, it's not going to do much for the other ingredients, the other kind of, you know, quite delicate ingredients in the beer like um, like hops. So we developed our own uh, more biological process where there's never enough alcohol in the beer to warrant removing it. Um, so it does undergo a very, very small fermentation, um, which produces a trace amount of alcohol that in our case is um, around 0.4%. Um, and that allows the flavors of a, of a fermented product to you know and the enzymes that come along with that to to be present in the product gives it that beery like a very technical term that that beery taste um, <laughs> and and having a an alcohol content of 0.4% that's actually quite similar to what some other drinks have that you might be correct me if I'm wrong I used to brew my own kombucha and that involves a fermentation process. It's not alcoholic, um, you know, kombucha, but there is probably some trace alcohol there because there's sugars involved that ferment. And they, correct me if I'm wrong; it's pretty much the same 100%. process. Yeah, yeah, very, very similar uh, in that sense. Um, and yeah, there's a, there's a lot of um, naturally occurring alcohol in foods that you probably wouldn't expect it to be in. Um, that you know, quite often more than probably more than what's like in ripe fruit or something. Yeah, exactly. Right, banana, um, even you know, apple juice that's been opened in your fridge for a few days. Um, the sugars in that, you know, tend to ferment with the wild yeast in the air um, and produce alcohol. And I think there's probably a lot more kombucha. Um, so there's probably a, there's probably a lot more alcohol in your uh, home kombucha brews, uh, Ted, than the than you might realize. Um, you know, that's um you know, can, can sort of get up upwards, you know, just over 1% um, at times as well. Um, now, this podcast, we're, we've spent far too long, much time talking about my home kombucha because it's uh, we're not going to go down that path and it's not that good. Um, now, I interrupted your story about um, why you started it. I just also wanted to mention, like, I'm not a, a, a certainly not a, a co-founder, but how I became curious about your drink and the, the non-alcoholic beers, you know, Andy, I'm I'm 39. I'm a dad, three young kids, and I love being a dad, but it's but it's bloody hard, you know. Up early, pretty much every morning, works uh, takes time, trying to get sleep, diet, exercise, friends, and you know, when you're already squeezing in a lot into a day, I just need to be up and be my best. And um, yeah, so I just became curious about non-alcoholic beer, and that's the story about how I became um, curious about Heaps Normal. And I don't want this to be um, like I'm preaching about non-alcoholic drinks because certainly I, I do love my alcoholic drinks and my spicy margaritas and, and everything like that. But, um, <laughs> Andy, I do want to kind of ask you if this is something you've heard before or it's just my own case. It tastes so much like a real beer. 
I felt like I was having a bit of a placebo effect the first time I drank it and that, yes, I know it's a non-alcoholic beer, but kind of getting a bit of buzz from drinking it. Is that is that something unique to me or you, have you kind of heard of that happening before? No, you're, you're bang on. And um, we've heard that from a lot of people. Um, in fact, we heard it from so many people. Um, so many people wrote to us and, and still do um, saying, are you sure that this is non-alcoholic? Because I'm I'm feeling a bit of a buzz. Um, it it gave us a bit of a scare so much that we actually went back and retested the beer just to make sure that it was less than 0.5%. But then the next step was actually to go and do a bit of research around, well, what's going on here? Has anyone figured out, you know, whether there is a buzz that you can get from non-alcoholic beer? And it turns out that there's research that says, if you're used to drinking normal beers and your your brain associates that taste with you know the kind of euphoric feeling that you get from from a, a little bit of alcohol um, in not in normal beers, then your your body responds in a similar way and reduces. Uh, sorry, your body responds in a similar way and uh, produces those endorphins, the same endorphins that you get from you know that first first beer or two um and makes makes complete sense oh it's not like just a habit i've got of you know two weeks four weeks whatever this is a habit that's built up over 20 something (laughs) years and yeah my my brain recognizing well normally with this taste and this flavor comes this reaction and old habits die hard that's it Um, we've got a we've got a funny phrase that we borrowed from from one person who kind of asked us that same question um which is the snappy way of of describing whether you can get drunk or not, and we always say that you'll drown before you get drunk. <laughs> okay, um, let's go back to kind of uh, timelines. Um, you and your co-founders uh, have identified you want to make a new beer. Ben, um, who I don't, I don't think you actually uh, mentioned, but Ben has um, he is the brewer in the, um, the the four co-founders, so he comes up with the recipe. But breweries. Andy, breweries cost millions, and like I'm sure you had aspirations of running um, a bigger beer company than something that can be run out of one of your garages. So, I'm interested: how does a boutique brewery like yourself manage this process without kind of going from zero to a hundred and then you know spending millions of bucks on a brewery straight away? What what was the first step in being able to kind of actually make a a commercial amount of beer? Yeah, it's a it's a really good question, um, and you're you're right. That's that is the the way that breweries, craft particularly craft breweries, tend to in the past have been started. You know, first building a brewery and servicing that kind of immediate neighbourhood, and then building out from there. And it's a real challenge because it's very capital intensive, and you've got to spend all of that money up front before you even sell one, the first keg. Um, we were really um, I guess fortunate, uh, it was another one of those silver linings. I think we were forced in many ways by the pandemic to rethink how we started our company and how, how we kind of built that um, from the very beginning. So, you know, we, we did, you know, Benny, we're not, we're not just a marketing company um, but because we've got, you know, Benny's amazing kind of um, brewing experience um, in the team um, we, you know, he's developed all of the processes and the recipes from the ground up. Um, and so all of that IP lives within our business. But what we did in the beginning was to really focus on the things that 
you know, we could we could do really quickly and easily to um, to get the business off the ground and to sell the first can of beer uh, and prove that you know because it was scary trying to trying to convince people that non-alcoholic beer was was uh, worth giving another shot. So for our approach was to you know similar to the hundred dollar startup or you know some of those kind of books out there around kind of starting businesses. It was it's all about trying to plot the shortest path to um, you know selling to your first getting your first customer. And so for us that meant you know developing all of the IP internally, but then finding a trusted partner um, to help us to scale that gradually um, and not biting off more than we could chew by building this you know huge facility, expensive facility um, without having kind of really proven that there's an audience um, for what we're creating. All right, so tell me, so uh, who did you partner with and, and, and how did that process work? Yeah, so we um, partnered with Brick Lane um, from from very early on. Um, they're based in Dandenong, down in Victoria. Um, and, you know, we just really connected with them from day one, John Selton being the head brewer down there. Uh, is a super knowledgeable guy and very generous with his facilities. Um, and so essentially... You know, we we took our IP to Brick Lane, um, and and they very generously treat let us treat their brewery as as our own, um, um, and so we were able even during, you know, border restrictions and so forth to um, to continue to scale our business, you know, as and brew more and more as the demand um, increased, you know, with the confidence that we were you know working with somebody who understood. What we were trying to achieve um, and could help us deliver that, uh, and then we, the rest of us, aside from Benny being obviously the brewer, um, we we were able to focus on what we're good at, which is you know telling great stories, um, building strong brands, um, and um, you know building building the community around uh, heaps normal. And I might also talk about one other thing that you were doing at the time, correct me if I'm wrong, or maybe this happened just slightly before, but you go through the start mate process and uh, we've had friends of the show um, and previous guests, both Nick Crocker and Matt Allen from Tractor Ventures, talk about the start mate process on previous um, episodes of the show, but they've always spoken about it from a different perspective, that being you know, from a mentor and an investor point of view is that they both come from... Um, um, venture capital firms, whereas you were on the other side, you were the startup. Uh, Andy, can you tell us a bit about how you and your co-founders found the Startmate process? Well, the whole Startmate process was a game changer for us. Um, I should take a brief kind of step back if if you'll allow me. Um, yeah. We, we heard about Startmate through a few mates um, uh, and they, they sort of said, oh, look, you know, you should apply for this if you're trying to get you know investment or you're trying to get into that sort of startup landscape you know you should really think about um applying for startmate and um i've known nick crocker for for a long time he's an old friend of mine from brisbane and so i reached out to nick and said look should we apply for this like we're a we're a beer company this seems like a tech startup um accelerator (laughs) fair Um, to say you'd probably be the first beer company that they've had apply i think we are yeah (laughs) and nick said yeah, one thousand percent. You should apply. You're not going to get in, but you should apply because the process itself is going to, you know, really help you. 
um, and um, in a range of different ways. And so we took his advice and we did, and we kept going, you know, through, we went through each of the stages and at each new stage, you know, when we got through that stage, um, we thought, oh, look, this is great. We get to practice our pitch one more time and, and refine our process um, and we just kept Andy, I might, I might just interrupt there. So to, to, for those not familiar, can you give a bit of context and like a, maybe a, a denominator here? So how many at the start, kind of the top of the funnel and, and kind of how many possibly drop out at each stage? Yeah. Uh, so I, I believe in our cohort there were a, a few hundred, um, three to 400 um, of, you know, as Startme describes it, the most ambitious founders in the country applying to to get in. It was a written application where you describe your business the challenge that you're solving in the world um, and what sort of traction that you've had, um, you know, so far. Um, it's focused on very early startups. So sometimes it's just an idea that someone's had. Uh, sometimes they've already raised a small amount of money or, you know, have a few customers. So we were sort of somewhere in between that. And so we we got through the written application. There was then a, a speed dating style interview process where, was very intense you spend two hours on the phone with and 15 minutes with um each mentor that just sort of appears on the screen um one after the other um you know grilling you on your business and and why you know you want to be part of startmate um and there are two rounds of those and then they sort of go away from memory and, and think about okay what are the who are the top um uh top 20 uh yeah, it might have even been less. I apologize. My memory's a bit fa- um, foggy on the, the exact numbers, but I think there were less than 20 um, founders um, who they announced as the then the cohort that we were part of um, and went through that that those founders then went through a 12-week program where they were paired up with a handful of mentors who became their sort of um, advisory board Um and the board that your your advisory board basically are these ex- extremely experienced founders, investors, um, or you know industry f- people um, who have a personal connection to the problem that you're solving, and spend that twelve weeks basically moving mountains for you and introducing you to anyone and everyone in their network who can help you solve the problem. Um, and giving you advice, you know, on the problems that they've solved in the past that are that are similar. Um, so that's sort of how it worked. And I think for us, um, the benefits of going through Startmate were that it gave us this one. It gave us this rhythm um, for us as a business in terms of setting and achieving uh, our own objectives. Um, and two, it really stretched the expectations that we had of ourselves and of our business around what's possible in a short period of time. And we've carried that forward um, well beyond Startmate. Um, and I think it's it's a very, very large part of, you know, the, let's say, small amount of success that we've had so far in the kind of, you know, short journey. Okay. So uh, from now, you've gone through Startmate, you've released a beer to market in um, some magnitude. Andy, when did you... When did you know that you actually had a product, say product market fit, that was tracking well um, and being taken up by customers, not just with friends and family? Yeah, 100%. That was really important to us. And it was, you know, the, the measure for us uh, was 
internally for ourselves was that, you know, we could have a second one of these, you know, we, one, it tasted like a beer. We weren't convincing ourselves otherwise, but two, that you would reach for a second one. Um, and so we went through a process. We, we packaged um, uh, roughly 50 cases uh, of the trial batch that we did with Brick Lane early on, the, the very first commercial scale-up batch that we did. Um, and considering this four founders what's that that's like 12 slabs each so, you know that, that they're going to go out to friends and family and i i know if i give my mum a drink and say that i made it even if it tastes like crap she'll tell, tell me that's the best thing ever yeah that's right and our, our mums all did the same thing you know it was a, <laughs> they were like oh this tastes tastes amazing you know well done and um so we took that with a grain of salt and we yeah. we we gave we gave our families you know uh rationed rationed them with a slab each and then spent the rest of that stock um you know, giving it out to people that we respected in the industry, um, people who we still had a connection to, um, but who's who we knew would give us a very honest appraisal. Um, and we didn't tell them that it was non-alcoholic, I think, importantly, because we, we, we did really want to get that genuine reaction. So we took it to, um, you know, mates at, um, at Capital Brewing, um, Filter, uh, brewing, um, we gave it to sommeliers, um, bartenders, um, and the overwhelming feedback from people was, oh, you know, this tastes like a normal beer. I think the question we asked at the time was, you know, how, how, what ABV do you think it is? What, what alcohol content do you think this has? And most people, it did vary, of course. Some people said light beer. Some people said normal beer. Some people said non-alcoholic. But nine out of ten people said it you know, that they would guess it, t- it had between 3 and 4%, um, which, you know, we sort of interpreted as most people th- thinking that it tasted like a mid-strength beer, which is when, you know, we knew we were onto something. I think you early on said that mid-strength was the the kind of highest selling category, subcategory of beer. And and so, and I, we, we agree, you know, we think um, low alcohol and mid-strength beers are sort of uh, the growth categories. And so if people you know, feel like this tastes like a mid-strength beer when you were onto something. Okay, so you, you bring product to market. What is it, mid-2020? The big C word, that is you mentioned, COVID, we're, we're well and truly in, um, well, lockdowns depending on where you are in Australia. And it was what was, I'll say, I'm talking like COVID's the thing of the past. Is, was, whatever it is, COVID good or bad for you? Oh, look, it was really challenging and scary. Um, it was a bloody scary time to launch a business. Um, and, you know, we were originally um, scheduled to launch, you know, back in uh, April, May 2020. Um, and so we did get a little bit gun shy at that point and we, we decided to wait at that point until the summer, October 2020. But then we sort of, we rethought that and we were watching the market and we were watching how, Everybody was responding to, um, you know, the restrictions and the changing, the changing kind of environment, and noticed that, you know, while it was heartbreaking to see the hospitality industry suffering so badly, we noticed that retail was was everything was basically being funneled through retail, and so, you know, no, knowing that we had a limited window of time to to get out there before other people sort of cottoned on to this idea that non-alcoholic beer could be a thing. Um, you know, we, and, and also I guess conscious that, you know, the longer we sat on it, the more money that we we burned and risked not being able to launch. So we um, 
noticed that and we hustled really hard to to get to market as quickly as possible um, when we noticed that in in April, May um, and managed to launch in July 2020. Um, so I'd say to answer your question, the, the pandemic, we, we wouldn't say it was good for us, but um, we there were, there were a lot of silver linings um, that we were able to help make work in our favour along the process just by keeping an open mind uh, around different ways that we can that we could operate as a business um, as well as you know a little bit of luck you know I think it, it would be um, silly um, for me to sort of claim that it was all our own you know smart thinking that got us through um, I think we were very very fortunate to fall on the right side of um, of some of the government policies um, brewing was all, was considered an essential service throughout that entire period and we um, you know, we made the calculated decision to only launch in cans. And so, you know, we were very lucky in that sense to not suffer some of the uh, at times catastrophic um, downsides of the pandemic, like having to pour keg product down the drain um, or, you know, not for, for our our production facility, like to not be able to operate um, during that period. So we were very, very fortunate, um, but also tried to keep an open mind and, um, and look for different ways that we could operate within the restrictions that were at play. Yeah, well, being based in Victoria um, the whole the whole time and whatever lockdown lockdown we've we've been up to, I feel like a lot of my friends, family, and extended network probably went pretty hard uh, on the alcohol intake in the first wave, and then there was a real behaviour change with the subsequent waves where people readjusted their lifestyle and and you know their drinking patterns and, and probably started to become a bit more health conscious. And, and I, I'm, you know, that's possibly um, something that you notice too in terms of sales. Um, now, whilst this isn't an episode to preach about giving up alcohol, as, as I mentioned at the at the start, I, I certainly haven't. But I, I am interested, um, Andy, if you've had any stories about what impact, you know, your, your product has had on people and their life from, you know, cutting down alcohol. Yeah, we we have, um, you know, I think particularly, you know, given our interest areas and and you know our our, our experience, um, it was really kind of it was really positive for us. It felt really great to have um, musicians and artists who are and, and bartenders, you know, friends of ours um, who are surrounded by alcohol all the time, and you know, even when they do want to cut back, I think they're sort of some of the they're at the front line of this and and can find it you know really difficult um, just to have a night off, and we had a lot of um, we had a lot of artists re- reach out to us early on and say you know look this is a game changer I can have this in my rider um, and you know and not not feel like you know I'm I'm not participating with the audience you know and and our fans but um, and equally with bartenders who. You know, it's a real kind of culture of having a knockoff when you finish your shift at, you know, three or five in the morning um, to have a drink with everyone and to kind of, you know, build those relationships with your coworkers. And so, and then we, we, we heard from a lot of bartenders to say, oh, look, you know, I've, this is, I've been looking for something like this. I've been really struggling and, and this is really kind of, it's a great option that still allows me to participate, um, you know, with my, with my mates. Um, and I think then more broadly, um, it's been, 
you know, amazing. And it's sort of, I guess, the the reason it sort of keeps us kind of getting out of bed every morning to to receive emails, um, you know, on a weekly basis of, you know, people just sort of lit, quite literally saying, you know, this has changed my life, you know, and and a couple of people saying, you know, this, you know, heaps normals literally saved my life, and I don't say that to big note ourselves because. It certainly wasn't something that we anticipated when we started a beer company to receive that kind of feedback. You know, a beer company is just, you know, feels like a frivolous kind of uh, <laughs> um, pursuit of, um, you know, creating creating a fun product and a fun brand that, you know, we go out and, and just get, have a bit of fun with it. Um, so to have that kind of, you know, really kind of, um, I guess, yeah, really like really serious impact on on people's lives um, isn't something we expected at all. Well, I, I wanted to ask that, that question because, you know, you are making a difference to, to a portion of the community out there that may have had um, issues, problems, or not even that you know, with uh, alcohol in the past. I think beyond the, beyond the you know, beer, uh, the product itself and the category that we operate in, it's, um, again, without preaching, we just want to... Um, for our own, you know, conscience, try to kind of demonstrate what is um, possible for businesses and the, you know, when it comes to being a force for good uh, in in the world. And if a small business like ours um, can, you know, make incremental changes, um, you know, for example, to the way we hire in being more inclusive and to to being responsible for our impact uh, and, and those sorts of things. If we can make small incremental changes like that, which, you know, let's face it, they're, they're not new and we're not the first to do them, but if we can do it, then, you know, it should be kind of normal. Um, it should be something that every business can do. Andy, you're living in Bangkok in Thailand. Um, how's the the wider non-alcoholic industry going in, in different parts of Southeast Asia? And in particular, how, how is um, non-alcoholic beer going in? And acceptance over there. Yeah, we've we've been distributing to Singapore for a bit over six months, and when we launched in Singapore, the only other non-alcoholic option there was Heineken Zero, uh, and we've yeah seen a lot of other non-alcoholic uh, beers and kombuchas and um, non-alcoholic RTDs launch um, over there since then. So um, you know that's another market that I think is very much on the ground floor. Um, Southeast Asia in general is a really, really interesting region for non-ALK um, because I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of cultural stigma around alcohol, um, but it's very present um, still. Like I think it's just a bit of an undercurrent. Um, you know, drinking here is sort of officially frowned upon, but you know, but very, very kind of alcohol is quite widespread, um, and um, I think. Culturally, um, there's an opportunity here and also the, the climate, you know, it's so bloody hot, 35 degrees here in Bangkok um, in the middle of winter with, you know, probably verging on 100% humidity. Um, you know, there's there's a real opportunity, I think, for a refreshing beverage that um, that doesn't have the downsides. Now, at the time of recording, it's close to the end of January. Um, we've got FebFast coming up. Um, July, dry to July is another month that people um, often associate with cutting back on alcohol. I was wondering, you know, are, are these typically bigger months for you? Yeah, we we have tried to have our own take on those months. We don't necessarily, as a brand, you know, as you've called out, subscribe to the temporary sobriety 
style of um, cutting back. Uh, temporary, temporary sobriety initiatives, I think, is the non-branded way of describing those months. Um, but, you know, we're not excluding that as an option either. I think if, uh, like everything, if it works for you, it's a great thing. Um, and so we just try to provide an alternative. Um, Feb Fast, I think, being a non-alc is, um, is kind of naturally um, a bigger month for us, as is Dry July, as is Sober October, um, just because I think the trade, you know, really get behind those campaigns, which is which is great. Um, but we're also, especially in the last couple of years, really conscious um, that a lot of pubs, bars and restaurants make their money from alcohol sales. So last July, rather than sort of kick them while they're down, yeah. we sort of, we, we tried to take a different approach that was sensitive to both the opportunity to use July as a way to reduce your alcohol consumption and, and form some better habits, but also not sort of um, encouraging people to um, to kind of boycott their their local pub at a time when, you know, things were just opening up for a split second um, and, uh, you know, people can people could actually go, go and socialise and enjoy themselves again. Andy, to, f- to finish up, what does 2022 look like um, for Heaps Normal? New product? Uh, I know that you've just come to market with one. Can you tell us a bit about that and possibly, you know, what you've got planned for the rest of the year? Yeah, 100%. We, um, yeah, really excited about the new product that's just landed um, at the time of recording. It was uh, about a week ago and it's a, it's called Another Lager. Um, it's a really kind of easy drinking um, Aussie lager and um, hope hope everyone likes it. Um, it the, the other plans for this year are that we hope to build our own brewing facility, um, which will be located in the Beer Triangle of Sydney. Um, we'll leave it up to the imagination for everyone on where that is exactly, but that, that more information on that will be coming soon. Um, and, yeah, we hope to launch uh, a third product, um, you know, before the end of the year, hopefully. Okay. Well, Andy, it's it's been a fascinating chat. Andy, thank you very much for coming on the, the Richards Report podcast. If you'd like to give uh, Heaps Normal a go, it's available um, at your local. The new lager that uh, Andy mentioned there is exclusive at uh, Independence for the next couple of months, also available at the Heaps Normal website and use, use the Richards Report code to receive free shipping. The first beer, the uh, the XPA, is available at all Dan Murphy's and major outlets too. And don't forget the others that we've touched on too, uh, such as Sober um, and the non-alcoholic spirit, spirit brands like Liars and, um, and Seedlip. I, I want to give a, a mention to those too. And I also want to do a shout out to my other podcast too that I'm involved in, the Invested best podcast that's available too so make sure you check that out and subscribe if you're interested in in hearing um, more episodes than just one a month andy thank you very much for coming on the richards report podcast thanks ted it was a cracking chat really enjoyed it all right thanks for listening uh, thanks for the people that have given the show on rating a rating on itunes and if you like this episode please share it with a with a friend see you next time on the richards report podcast podcast.